This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Hi, I'm Adam Grant. I'm here with Jessica Jackley, the author of Clay, Water, Brick, and also the co-founder of Kiva. Um, Jessica, tell us why you wrote this book. Thanks for having me, Adam. It's nice to see you. It's nice to be here. I wrote the book to share with people my own entrepreneurial journey and, more importantly, to share with them the incredible insight and wisdom that I encountered in unexpected entrepreneurs along the way. So whereas for most of my formal business education, I got a lot of um, – I got pointed in the direction of a lot of sort of usual suspect examples um, – in terms of who, you know, who's who in business, and especially in Silicon Valley, who's who in the startup world, which ends up feeling sometimes like a very narrow place of, you know, a certain kind of tech startup led by a certain kind of um, person. When I got to actually get out into the world and travel and work a lot with entrepreneurs in usually developing countries, but at very least communities that were um, socioeconomically disadvantaged, I would meet these incredible people doing really important work despite the fact that they had very little education or very little resources or, well, I should say and often, um, or no connections to anybody in a powerful position. They, they lacked or had lost a lot, but they were incredibly wise, um, incredibly um, clear thinkers, intelligent people doing incredible things. And I find their stories the most motivating, motivating and empowering and um, inspiring of any other entrepreneurial studies that I've encountered. What, what did you learn from them? So if you, if you think of some of the entrepreneurs who yeah. affected you most, you said they had a lot of wisdom. What were some of the takeaways? So, well, the, oh, the clay, water, brick, it's funny. I mean, this is my first book interview. <laughs> so it's, it's uh, still not rolling off my tongue, but clay, water, brick, that title is taken from, is inspired from the story of a brickmaker named Patrick, who I met in Uganda, and who basically started to change everything for himself when one day he decided to make life better and to try to build something, and he had all, virtually nothing. So he literally, you know, not, not, not figuratively, not like in a cliche way that we talk about rolling up your sleeves and getting your hands dirty, like he actually really did this, dug into the ground beneath his feet, his bare feet, and started to shape a brick, shape bricks out of the clay, mixed water with it to make the right consistency. And then that's how, you know, after a few years, he built a brick business where he had several employees and was certainly thriving, certainly relative to where he'd been before. So, for example, I mean, that's just one little glimpse of one story. And, of course, I think the main lesson that he can teach all of us is that you really – you don't need to wait to get started. You don't need to wait until you have all your resources nicely lined up. Just start with whatever you have in front of you, even if it's messy or scrappy or there's it's rough around the edges, <laughs> again, quite literally. Just start, and you can build something pretty amazing. And you also did that yourself. So tell us a little bit about how you started Kiva. Sure. Uh, gosh, it makes me feel old. Ten years ago, I was in East Africa meeting people like the Patricks of the world, and I realized there are a few things. One, I realized that they indeed were incredible entrepreneurs. And that was huge for me because for most of my life, the narrative about um, poverty that I had heard did not allow for – didn't allow for that to be a reality. I heard from well-intentioned nonprofit organizations uh, that wanted me to p participate in their work as a donor that the poor were not entrepreneurial necessarily. They were 
people who had stories mostly of sadness and suffering and desperation, and they needed me to participate as a donor, and the organization would sort of take care of the rest. I didn't hear the stories of strength and, and, and empowerment and people sort of lifting themselves up by their bootstraps if they only had access to a little bit of a resource that I had had access to my whole, my whole life, a small bit of capital, a small loan. Um, and so that, for me, changed the story, and I thought those stories were really worth sharing. So one, I, heard a, I saw a different story of poverty and potential. That was huge. And two, I really felt like, I mean, I am, <laughs> for most of my life, I've been kind of a Luddite. I'm not, you know, I, I've studied philosophy and poetry undergrad. There were computer science courses. I did not take them. There were, there were business courses. I didn't take them, for the record, um, until later. Went back and got my MBA. I'm a fan of that. That was a good thing. But... Um, I saw the potential, even even I saw the potential of technology in these very um, far-off places in the middle of a village with no electricity source in Uganda or Tanzania or Kenya, where I was working at the time 10 years ago. But I saw how I could hand my cell phone to the goat herder that I was meeting and have that person talk to my mom and dad back home. And I could leave my camera and get pictures from what was going on in that village where nothing else really had reached. Um, it was very easy to, to, to connect them with just little bits that even I had. So seeing that there was a new story to be told, seeing that that new story, as those two parts, I guess, allowed for a different response, not just for anybody who heard the story to participate as a donor to a big nonprofit that would end up touching that person, but somebody could respond directly, perhaps with a loan directly, which was needed, not just the donations. Um, and then seeing that technology could really connect everyone led to the idea for Kiva. And I laugh when I read case studies or things like that that have been written about Kiva because at this moment in time, the 10 years ago idea being born moment, it's often said in a very sophisticated, kind of intimidating way. Like I hear it and I think, wow, did that really happen? I'm like, oh, this is me. This is my story. Because they'll say something like, thus was born the idea for the world's first peer-to-peer microlending marketplace. And there's all these big words. I mean, they, sometimes they, the, um, it's even written about as, you know, an early crowdfunding thing. I didn't use the word crowdfunding until like five years ago. Well, not maybe a little earlier than that. But it was a very simple desire. Kiva was born out of a very simple um, desire and a very simple set of ideas to connect people that I knew back in the United States mostly with these new friends that I was meeting, these incredible entrepreneurs who had a different story to tell. The way to connect them was through a loan. So that's what we tried to do. And I, I know there are many people who have been inspired by the fact that this wasn't just charity, right? You're, you're yeah. actually able to get a loan. The repayment rate, staggering. Can you tell us a little yeah. bit about how that works? Sure. So um, I have like one microcredit, microfinance joke, and here it comes. Get ready. Uh, credit is due, <laughs> not to necessarily Kiva for the super high repayment rates, which are at least 98.5, often 99% on average at any given moment. Um, but because throughout microfinance overall, there's a lot of work being done to help people succeed, especially with the mission-driven organizations that are out there. I mean, there are big banks that now offer microloans, and then there are nonprofits, grassroots organizations that offer loans. Sometimes they offer to different groups, but even when they're offering to the same, um, you see a lot of organizations work really hard to make sure those people succeed and to make sure repayment rates get up there, whether that means extending a loan, um, making sure that there's group support, that sort of thing. Often loans are given in groups. There's so much to talk about. Um, but, um, yeah, it's been really amazing to watch. I mean, it's, it's been one of the greatest experiences of my life, to watch the world respond and say, yes, we value these entrepreneurs too. We want to lend 
for free. I mean, it's 0% interest for no financial gain. We want to lend to somebody so that they can try to reach their potential. It's, it's been awesome. And I think, yeah, so repayment rate's 99-ish percent, and then if it hasn't crossed already, it's, it keeps about to cross $700 million in loans in these little $25 bits from people all around the world. Wow. Of course, you can't help but wonder about impact. Yes. And I, I know you're aware there's some evidence that's come out recently suggesting that maybe micro savings programs could yep. be more effective than micro lending programs. Yes. How do you how do you react to that? What do you make of that? I think there's no well as uh, Nicholas Kristoff, who I know we both really appreciate, um, has talked about. There's no silver bullet. I would never claim to say that micro credit, micro lending, is a silver bullet. He's talked before about in this and other contexts, sort of a buckshot approach, which I, I love that analogy. Um, I think micro-savings, I mean, what's funny is they're often a part of micro-lending programs. Microfinance, right, is the largest heading we can talk about. And I mean, if anybody, if any Wharton folks are listening to this, I'm, I'm obviously preaching to the choir. But obviously microfinance is the broadest heading. Microcredit is one such product under that heading, one such service. Um, Microinsurance is one. Microsavings is another. Often these things work best together. And the truth is, you know, I believe in the power of teaching people to think entrepreneurially or better yet, just giving them opportunities to, f- to figure out how to activate that part of themselves. It doesn't always have to be taught per se. I think you just give people opportunities to exercise what they already have inside of them. And I think I value watching people go through the process of receiving a microloan regardless of the outcome of the viability of the business. Now, of course, I very much prefer when those businesses thrive and go on to provide more of a sustainable livelihood for folks. But I've seen cases in which somebody receives a loan, they ended up having, you know, something happened. There's often an anomaly, like there's a disaster they needed some of the money for instead of repaying their loan fully, or the business survived for a while, but then it shifted. Whatever happens, if it's not a business success at the end of the journey, I've never once met somebody who has not grown or changed in a positive way because of the entire experience of going through receiving that loan, being trusted with that resource, and given an opportunity, given a chance to thrive um, and build something meaningful in their lives. So it's a little bit of how I look at it, but I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by and a very uh, pro uh, the idea of micro savings programs, maybe maybe that'll be the next thing that really takes over the space and is, is prioritized above micro loans and other things. That that would be interesting to see. Jessica, what do you think are the biggest misconceptions that entrepreneurs carry around? I think regardless of um, where they are, where we are in the world, um, entrepreneurs tend to get stuck, I think, more than they need to because they think that they need something to move forward. And actually, there's, you know, they can get there anyway, over, around, through. They can figure out a way. Managers are great at doing that in general, but I often see people stop at particular points where they don't necessarily need the thing that they think they need. Um, For example, um, (laughs) with my second startup, ProFounder, there was a woman, um, and this is a story also in the book, but there's a woman who thought that she needed to raise $90,000 for her small business. It was a, a whale-watching kind of tour business. And it turns out that she she put you know she put that out there into the world to say, this is what I need to get. I need this funding so I can go purchase a new boat and all these things. And her friends who were supporting her, they didn't have all the money to support her in financially, but they knew the thing that she needed. They knew they needed this boat. And so they were, they were on the lookout for this. And it turns out they found it at, you know, a tenth the cost, something 
something incredibly discounted. So she, she ended up kind of getting there in a different way than she thought that she would, but she definitely thought the path was raise the money, then find the thing itself, not go direct to the thing itself. Just a small example. So we don't always need to be funded before we can get started as entrepreneurs. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's helpful. <laughs> and for some, it's absolutely the very first, you know, the first thing that, that is necessary, but it's not always the case. And that's the fun of entrepreneurship, right? And the way I think even broader than being an entrepreneur, starting a business, or even acting entrepreneurially within a company, being an entrepreneur, living entrepreneurially, I feel like, is about seeing those other ways through, those other ways around, and seeing opportunity where we might overlook it at first. Jessica, I can't help but notice there have been a few squeaks in the background. <laughs> What's going on? That is, the, that is absolutely true. So my infant son, my third son, is over there in the stroller, chiming in now. Um, he's with me because right he's tiny, cue. right on cue. Ace SAI. And he is with me um, pretty much nonstop these days. This is what it looks like for me to work, be a working mom. So I, he's here. He's in the studio. And I appreciate that everyone has been so welcoming, including him, <laughs> wherever I am. That's kind of my mo. That's how, I, that's how one of the ways that I find balance. He comes to a lot of my work events. <laughs> we hope to have him on set in a future yes. <laughs> year. He's, he's, uh, he's getting ready to go. Jessica, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Adam. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.